This week's podcast brought to you by The Pouch of Douglas. I was in the kitchen the other night playing uh, It's a Hard Knock Life from Annie, sung by Andrea McArdle, the original Broadway cast, singing, uh, instead of treated, we get tricked. Instead of kisses, we get kicked. It's a hard knock life. When our 11-year-old, who was learning a dance to that song, came in and said, well, now it just sounds weird when it's sung by an old person. So last week we talked a lot about your new ladder. Yes. Right? Your your how many feet tall ladder is that? Twelve thing? feet tall. That twelve foot ladder. That I've done manifold. tons of stuff with. Yeah. You've been you've been just a ladder climbing Fooled. dude. And uh so positive energy about ladders. And then yesterday, driving into Bristol because it was the big women's college basketball number one versus number two matchup happening in the in the Bahamas. On a Monday afternoon. On a Monday afternoon, a noon tip. UConn playing South Carolina. And uh, I'm driving on the highway. So going highway speed. On the interstate highway. On the interstate highway. At the, at the time where it was, three lanes. I'm in the middle lane. All of a sudden this big kind of like cargo van that's in front of me just nails, jams on its brakes can't see around it it's a big giant cargo van so i quickly look in my my left mirror rearview mirror all right i can like I'm, i hit my brakes of course too but so i don't run in the back of the guy i get over to the left lane second i get in the left lane i see what the problem is there's a big giant ladder probably 12 foot or bigger in the left lane so i quickly what, s- was the ladder prone or was it set up. <laughs> it been pretty ladder. great if it was set up. No, it was prone. It was taking a little nap. So I have to quickly, in the minivan, you know, jerk the wheel back and get behind again the cargo van. But it wasn't enough time. I hit at least a portion of this big giant ladder. I'm just waiting for the light to come on and say low tire pressure. I'm certain I've blown the tire. And I'm going to have to not only pull over on the highway, but then figure out what I'm going to do so that I can get to work. Abandon the car. Abandon the car. Rip off the license plates and and jog to Bristol. Yeah, because I can't can't blow off this number one versus two matchup. Two versus four, you could could Maybe, but not one versus... And I'm the only analyst. So far this year, they've like normally there'd be two analysts, and it wouldn't be as big of a deal. I'm the only analyst in for this for this big one versus two matchup. So I just keep driving, and I'm list. I turn the radio off. I'm just listening and waiting. I'm waiting for the light to go on. I'm li- waiting to hear the thump, 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 thump. I immediately call you and tell you what's happened, and we might need to just you might need to figure out how to deal with all of the other kids, all of the kids in the, in the afternoon. There was a game analyst. Carolyn Peck was there on oh, the yes. site. You were going oh, yes. into the studio for halftime. For halftime. And yes, yes. Not vital. Not nearly as vital, of course, as... It would well, be no, it, it, been weird if I was the game analyst. You just had a little more time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, as I keep driving and I keep listening and I keep watching, the light never comes on. You never hear the thump, thump, thump. So I 
make it to Bristol and I park the car and I like look at all parts of the tire is only like with my novice eyes. Of course, I'm not a car mechanic, but I do know what a blown tire looks like. I'm feeling the tire. I'm listening. I'm like, is there even a slow leak? Is there nothing? How did I, I mean, the car's probably way out of alignment, but how the heck did I hit that ladder to some degree? Granted, my my reflexes were pretty good. I could have hit it a lot worse if I hadn't, you know, quickly maneuvered the minivan back to the middle lane. But I was just thinking, how many times have we taken that minivan in for tire-related maladies over the course of the last few months that we've talked about here on the podcast? And how many times have we had trips in that minivan uh, disrupted by bladders? (laughs) 12-foot bladders. 12-foot bladders. When you add all of our feet together. So uh, anyway, story has a good ending, I guess. How how the heck is there a ladder in the middle of the left lane on I-84 westbound, first of all? I mean, it must have just fallen off because if it has been a while, you would think that like nobody's coming back for it. No. I know, but like cops or somebody, right? Like you would think so, but I'll tell you how it happens. It happens the same way on Saturday. Our son and I were driving back from New York. We'd gone to the Brooklyn Nets game on Friday night and stayed overnight. And on I eighty four, six eighty four, I think it would have been in New York before you get to Connecticut, a sort of dump truck filled with debris to about a foot over the brim of the dump truck, came flying by in the right lane, which is now apparently the passing lane for most people. Right. Uh, going 75, 80 miles an hour. And as it passed me, it started shedding its payload. Well, it didn't start shedding its payload. It had been shedding its payload, I'm sure, for the entirety of its journey. And a chunk of concrete rock, I don't know what, bounced up and like a bullet hit our windshield right in front of our son riding shotgun and left a left a nick in the windshield that had been replaced. The windshield that's been replaced in the last couple of months. Exactly. So the, 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 how it happened is people don't care. They that's just don't care. I wonder, too, if this was a Werner ladder, because I believe Werner ladders what? are the official sponsor of the net cutting ceremony I, at the NCAA championships. I thought you said you wondered if it was a learner ladder and somebody <laughs> like a learner's permit and, and, and some apprentice uh, painter didn't know how to tie it down on their truck yeah. and, and it fell off. But anyway, knowing the backstory of your trip into the studio, it made sense to me when I turned it on and broadcast news style, the Albert Brooks movie, you appeared to me at least in the first, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes into the game, they went to studio mm-hmm. and had you had a quick sentence of analysis. And They you, call that the halftime pop. The halftime the pop. Time out, the timeout time before halftime. They come to studio quickly and before they go back to the last four minutes or so of the game, and we call it the halftime well, pop. At your halftime pop, you, you appeared flushed, not flustered, but uh, but uh, I, I, knowing the backstory, I could just imagine you sliding in on a on a rolly chair, and and what you said in your halftime pop, you mentioned uh, you were highlighting, I, I think it was UConn's paints in the point. Yes, paints in the point. Yes, I, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, "This is unbelievable," because of course I know it's points in the paint. But, but I, I, like, I may have said that again at halftime, by the way. I like paints in the point. I like paints in the point. <laughs> yeah. It, like, a, like, I, a, like, a, like a pointillist painting. They need paints 
in the point. I um I don't I didn't feel flushed or flustered or any of those things, but I do remember as the words were coming out of my mouth, that's just not right. But because it's a halftime pop, I don't have time to correct it. The producer's in my ear counting down six, five, four. So paints in the point, it will be. And everyone knows what you meant. So this big one versus two matchup um, happened because both teams advanced in their brackets in the, I think it was battle, the some bad boy mowers battle for Atlantis. Was it, was it, I think you coached in our son in the commotion by the ocean. Oh, we did. I did. I don't know if bad boy motors battle for Atlantis is related to commotion (laughs) by the ocean. Um, But, uh, but it was on at noon um, on ESPN. People were mad that it was on at noon, but it was originally supposed to be on ESPN too. So credit ESPN for then moving it to ESPN regular because it's crazy. It feels to me like if you have ESPN, you also have ESPN too. Yes, but if you might have done what I did, which is which is set your DVR for ESPN two, where it was shown on the schedule, yes. and then the game appears on ESPN. Yeah. And you, you end up recording uh, cornhole or something. Yeah, I had a couple people uh, tweet at me that they did that. Um, but uh, but what I was going to say is like it's a huge difference in viewership, um, especially like in the WNBA in the summertime. The difference in your rating for ESPN one and ESPN two is drastically different. Always. And then if you add ABC to it, that's a whole different you, layer. But ESPN 1 and ESPN 2, completely different. So it's huge and important for it to be on 1 versus 2. There, there is no physical uh, difference in exerting energy from putting in channel 28 versus channel 29 Yeah, for the I, viewer. I don't understand I don't concept. understand it at all either because, like I said, like back in the day, people had to pay extra or whatever for ESPN 2 and more households had it. But that's not really... Um, or more households had ESPN1. That's not really the case anymore. So I don't understand it. I just know that it is true. So anyway, at least the game was on ESPN1. It's a great game. Now, Ryan, Ruko, and I are, the, the teams the teams are scheduled to meet, I think, late January, maybe early February, in one of our big Thursday night showcase matchups. And UConn at South Carolina. And Ryan and I are scheduled to call that game. You know, excited about that game. It's going to be one versus two. It's going to be UConn, South Carolina. It was an amazing game last year that went into overtime. And then all of a sudden we get this treat, this early present that they got to play. Um, they got to play yesterday as well. It was a great game. UConn looked amazing early. South Carolina looked amazing late, especially in the fourth quarter when they held UConn to three points. Um, but uh South Carolina is the best team in the country. They made that clear yesterday. I'm eager to see more of Maryland because I felt like um, coming into this game that it was kind of UConn and South Carolina were the top tier, and then there, you know, there was teams in the next tier below them. Um, but now I'm really eager to see Maryland to say, all right, are, are they in that top tier, or is the top tier just South Carolina right now? Is it South Carolina and then everybody else? Um, that'll play out a little bit. But um, great game. Uh, you know, good for women's basketball is a well-played game. And a lot of times in November, men's basketball, women's basketball, when it's early in the season, games are not necessarily pretty and well-played. This one overall, um, offensively, had some um, really nice, really nice pieces to it. But um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, it'll be a fun rematch when uh, when I go out in Colombia for that game, I think January That, that game is in, is in Bogota? In Colombia. Oh, yeah. Columbia, South Carolina, oh, okay. um, which is funny, too, because Daly, 
I get emails from um, the newspaper in uh, Columbia because last year, you know, and, and I'm trying to read articles about the South Carolina women's basketball team. So I signed up, you know, put my email in every single day. I know what traffic accidents and murders or other violent crimes have happened in Columbia because that's always like the head header of the email that the newspaper sends me. If Not the student newspaper, the newspaper, newspaper. Following the if it leads, it if it bleeds, it leads um, yes. mantra of local news. Yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned looking forward to a basketball game, the rematch of South Carolina and UConn, much in the way that our son was looking forward to for his birthday present, six weeks delayed, going to see the Brooklyn Nets in their all-world player, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of him. Well, uh, when we are at a Liberty game this summer and we're walking around Barclay Center and he's seeing like all murals. the murals and stuff, he's like, his eyes got wide. He said, for my birthday, can can I get tickets to a to Nets, a Nets game? game? And has he, he's ever been to an NBA game, right? I don't believe so. Um, been to WNBA games, enjoyed them, never been to an NBA game. So, yes, for his birthday, we got him tickets to a Brooklyn Nets game. We went to uh, the, the swag shop before the game and he got a Durant T-shirt. And uh, turned up his nose slightly at the T-shirt with his mother's likeness on it, WNBA Jam shirt with As he should. Becky Hammond and Rebecca Lobo and mm-hmm. your various ratings, three-point defensive, two-point ratings. And when I held it up to him and I ended up buying the shirt, uh, he looked at it and he said, she needs to work on her three-pointers. <laughs> Not wrong. But then we sat down, we took our seats, and it's precisely 7.07 p.m. for a 7.30 tip-off. Uh, the face came on the jumbotron and, and announced as discreetly as possible, as if announcing the uh, disclaimer on a pharmaceutical ad, said, uh, Kevin Durant will not be playing tonight because of uh, lingering effects of that shoulder he tweaked the other night. And I looked over at our son in his seat, and... He looked. He looked like somebody had a, just tweaked his shoulder. Yeah, as a newly minted thirteen-year-old, uh, in his little Velcro uh, splint from his broken wrist, he looked uh, world-weary, as if he knew all along this is how it would turn out, as if it were confirming everything he knew about the world in his young life that. 23 minutes before tip-off, six weeks after getting these tickets, they would announce Kevin Durant was not playing. Now, No one is probably true. I don't remember if our viewers know. Go ahead. I was going to say, if I had brought him to the game, Kevin Durant probably would have played. No, no, no. On the contrary, because what I was going to say is several years ago, a few years ago now, all he wanted in life was to see Bryce Harper play baseball for the Washington Nationals. And you brought him to a game. Right, I did. And the night before... Bryce blew out his ankle or whatever his injury was at first base and therefore didn't play that game or, or the rest of the season. But he you did. know, uh, uh, then the reason I said he would have played if I was there just because of karma, not karma, but my luck versus your luck. Dad luck, as the kids call it, yeah. And I don't know if we had talked about this. Um, uh, well, let, let me just, let me okay, just yes, interject. Okay, yes, you finish, you finish. It was a great game. We had a great time. Uh, James Harden had 36 points. The Orlando Magic were... Uh, 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 Jalen Suggs of the Twin Cities and Gonzaga had uh, 17 points in the first quarter, ended up with 21 points. So the rest of the game didn't go like that. But the Magic led most of the game, and, and the Nets came back at the end and won, and we got to see 
Harden have a huge game, and 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 it was a lot of fun, and uh, and just our visit to New York was a ton of fun. But uh, but you're right, um, it was probably always going to be that way. What what I was going to mention, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, is when when I'd taken him all those years ago um, to the Washington Nationals game, uh, we were we were in D.C. for a couple of days because I was calling a Mystics game. And I remember mentioning to Mike Tebow, um, Mike Tebow's the head coach of the Washington Mystics, that I was taking our son to the Nationals game. And he was your coach with the Connecticut Sun. He was my coach with the Connecticut Sun and just an all-around great guy. And when Thomas and I were, um, I think Mike may have asked, like, where are you guys sitting? So just told him where we were sitting, wasn't thinking anything of it. And uh, right before the game started, a guy came down and uh, said, are you Rebecca and are you Thomas? And he handed Thomas a signed Bryce Harper ball. So Mike Tebow and knew, his, knew somebody in the Nets organization. and It made uh, his year. Yeah, and knew that we were going to the game, and it was just an incredibly kind gesture. And, yeah, it certainly made our our son's year. So um, but he were, did not, however, get a Kevin Durant. No, no, but there were so many he other— got the, uh, He got the T-shirt. Yeah, and there were so many other uh, fun things about— you know, 24 hours uh, going down to New York and staying overnight with him, and including his asking uh, as we were going from Manhattan, where I parked the car via the uh, D train to Brooklyn, he said, what kind of oddities do you think we'll see on the subway? What kind of oddities? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know, but we're, we're, we're likely we'll see some oddities down there. And and uh, he remarked afterwards that we didn't see any oddities on the subway. Well, I, I said, perhaps we were the oddities well, that other people were observing on the subway. Exactly, because I sent my sister, I sent my, my family's group chat a picture of our son from, I don't know if it was Times Square or wherever, and you just see him and he's got like this kind of bright coat on lemon yellow yeah bright lemon yellow coat adidas jacket and he's wearing his uh wrist brace because he's he's fractured his wrist or a bone in his wrist and um and so i I hadn't told my family that about his wrist so my sister just texted me and said what's going on with his wrist it looks like he's about to go bowling (laughs) and he did so you guys were the oddities on the subway you were the guy with the teenage Bright jacket wearing bowling about the bowl sun. We should have gone bowling, but instead we we went to the uh, all we did after we, we went to the nuts for nuts, nuts number four nuts street vendor for the uh, for the piping hot candy covered candy coated almonds. I, I miss those. I, I used yeah. to love those when I lived in New York. You got a good deal on them too, didn't you? Well, uh, the guy said. Um, I said, just I gave the guy a twenty. That's all I had. I think they're maybe two bucks a bag. And uh, he said, uh, I said, just one of the almonds. And he said, just one. He's now holding the twenty dollar bill. I said, yes, just one, just one, just one, just one. Brandishing the twenty dollar bill, I said, yes, just one. And the guy said, two for five dollars. And I said, okay. <laughs> I, Which is I, pretty great since you thought they were $2 per bag. Well, maybe then he got were, you up to two for $5. Yeah, I, Hopefully they were $3 maybe, a maybe bag. Maybe they were $3 a bag, but maybe they were $2 a bag. I don't remember. We, we were Similarly, uh, our son loved that, and two for $5 became a catchphrase of the trip. His second favorite uh, catchphrase was when we were at either Famous Ray's, Original Ray's, or Famous Original Ray's, a, a Ray's pizza. And uh, the guy said, uh, what to drink? 
we didn't want anything to drink. Uh, we're good. What, no, what, what to drink? Like, I don't think you understood me. I said, um, I'm not, do you want anything to drink? And our son contemplated something from the uh, fridge case as the guy is pulling, opening the fridge. And so we finally sort of uh, both got a succumbed to. succumbed to like a Pepsi and a Diet Pepsi. And then we watched as we waited for our slices to, to, to heat up. We watched everybody in line be browbeaten into getting something to drink. Our son, our son also enjoyed that. So uh, two for five dollars and what to drink became the uh, catchphrases of the trip. You guys were gone Friday overnight into Saturday, and, and so it was just me and the girls at home, and we were having a great time. Um, Saturday morning, our daughter went to a basketball practice that I was coaching, and after that, we texted you to say, you know, just curious, you know, no hurry, no hurry, but, uh, you know, do you guys have an ETA? So you said, you know, it's going to be like 1245 or something. And our daughter looked at me because uh, they were enjoying having the boys gone. We would have stayed in and, and two so more I, days. And so I, I texted you and said, you know, having, having, you know, the girls and I are having a nice girls' day. Like, don't hurry home on account of us. We had we had left Manhattan at 9.55, and we were now 45 minutes from home. And, uh, you could and have told, the, and you could have told us that three hours earlier before <laughs> I had woken our son from a, from a, a oh, I had you blackout curtain coma. But um, your next task text the the one that i just responded to was like we'll be home at you know eta twelve forty five. no hurry no hurry we're having a great girls day your next r- response was eta twelve thirty seven. <laughs> like forget you guys we're also going to get there even earlier uh well uh, than we had expected i'm sorry that we returned home to your warm <laughs> embrace but um but we, we should do it every weekend if that's the case hey that that would be fine with us well, I'm giving thanks for our wonderful girls, not weekend, girls 24 hours and your wonderful trip to uh, the Kevin Durant-less Nets game. It's Thanksgiving coming up All this right. week. I was wondering why you were being so grateful. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our our listeners. We're thankful for you guys. We'll be hosting Thanksgiving, won't we? We will. Crowdsourcing yep. uh, various foodstuffs from various people yeah we, we host thanksgiving and then this is we do this most years but everybody brings stuff so it's not a you know overwhelming cooking assignment for any one person it's uh i've, I've never felt all the ladies yeah i know you never feel overwhelmed all the ladies will be chefing up something my brother's a good cook i wonder if he helps at all he um, doesn't <laughs> and then uh, in, in and 2021 we'll why are the ladies doing any of the cooking that's a good question. Uh, unless you enjoy it. Right. Actually, I, I do enjoy cooking for Thanksgiving. Um, but anyway, thanks. happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. And uh, what do you think? Should we go to viewer mail? Uh, we may as well go to viewer mail. Big bad book, throw our lure. Reel us in with your viewer mail. Well, we've got plenty of viewer mail, Rebecca. Shall we get to it? I think we said we already said we were getting to it, right? Yes. Hi, Stephen. Rebecca writes, uh, Ed, our resident ball and chain patent attorney. Hello, Ed. We haven't had many patent issues in recent weeks. No, but maybe he found one. But he, he always finds one. Mm. Uh, that's why he's. That's why we keep him on staff, Rebecca. Hi, Stephen. Rebecca, a few things for you today. First, I looked up Martinizing on the U.S. Patent and Trademark website. It's still an active registered trademark. This means that this mark is still being used commercially somewhere. Like you, I remember the word from long ago, but hadn't seen it around in ages. 
I still didn't really know what it actually meant until I looked it up. Basically, it involves use of a cleaning agent that's less toxic and less dangerous than previously used solvents. That way, a storefront dry cleaner could do the process on the spot versus having to ship garments out to some distant industrial plant. Hence, the turnaround could be faster. One hour. One hour martinizing. And he includes a helpful link to Martinizing's Wikipedia page. Can I just say how our listeners just make our, our life better? By, they do. Like, you and I didn't weren't going to look up what martinizing even meant, and now we know. Well, you definitely weren't, but... Did you? But I, I hadn't thought to do it. No. Right, exactly. You, well, you definitely weren't. Like, why well, do you, you say you, stuff you, like you, that? You, you weren't familiar with martinizing at all as a concept. I, I remember the martinizing. All I said was, <laughs> neither of us knew what it was and weren't going to look it up. And you say, <laughs> you weren't, but you didn't. Neither were you. Neither were you. <laughs> it's just such a you it's thing true. to say. That's true. That's true. So, Ed, thank I, you. I, yeah, Ed, Ed, well, Ed, Ed goes on. Second, the term... That is not done as a fountain of knowledge, okay? Second, the term cul-de-sac is from a French phrase meaning bottom of a sack. If that's the case, <laughs> Rebecca. Well. Rebecca, if that's the case, should the plural be culs de sacs? I mean, there's one cull per sack and one sack per cull. So two of them would be two culs de sacs. Two bottoms of the sack. You were saying cul-de-sacs. I was saying culls de sac. Ed is here to say it it's should be culls de sacs. Another thing I wouldn't have looked up. Right, so we're driving around various culls de sacs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Finally, writes Ed, I know from experience that it's an exciting time to have a child heading off to college. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's also kind of heartbreaking for the parents. Hang in there. Bless you both and your daughter too. Still enjoying the podcast after having listened to them all. Ed, a completionist in Maryland. Thank you very much, Ed. It is, it is heartbreaking and and exciting, and um, and we we appreciate your uh, corroboration. Yes. Mark writes. uh, Mark in Wisconsin writes. Greetings, Restivia. Don't take Restivia if you're allergic to Restivia. Last week's pod had me wondering. One, Steve. Were vocal cord massages included in your throat therapy? If not, should they have been? They were not, and they should have been. Rebecca, are you licensed to uh, deliver a vocal cord massages? No. I'd have to go to a, a music store or like a physical therapy place. Can we get a licensed person to do that, to get your voice back to the Barry White? Baritone. What's, what's his name? Barry uh, White. Lego master. Yes. I would like that because that was that was my best voice. Mm. Two, Rebecca, my great sympathies on your FAFSA-inspired grumpiness. FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A. Is that what? Financial uh, aid, that's what something, that is. Yes, something, yes. something, the college application process. I, I had two kids spaced two grades apart, meaning I only had six years of those forms. And by I, I of course mean my beautiful wife, who did all the dirty work. Her patience earned her plenty of sainthood points. Also, it does not get any better. Sorry. Three, both of you, do you think DGS and BNC could combine to sponsor some portion of an F1 ride next season? I'd be happy to chip in just to hear an announcer say, and there's Valtteri Botas, whose Alfa Romeo harnesses the DGS ball and chain power unit. <laughs> I, I, I think that would be phenomenal. But failing that, I think we should uh, uh, get our own radio station, maybe move the podcast to an over-the-air commercial uh, FM radio station, uh, 
KDGS, or depending on what side of the Mississippi we're on, WDGS, the power unit, 101.5. Can we just sponsor the power unit? Not the entire car, just the power unit. I, 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 I know. That would be the way to go. The next, the as next long as it's not a faulty power unit. The next race, they were in the Middle East. They were just in Qatar. No, they were just in Dubai. They just had the nighttime race, yeah. So um, Wait, wait till you get the, your, our, our weekly letter from Dr. Right, Gary. Right, probably too probably late to uh, get that sponsorship up right now and, mm. and probably in for at least a few million dollars in F1 sponsorships. Um, by the way, that was one of the joys of driving to and from New York in a car with no satellite radio was listening to uh, not commercial-free but commercial-packed commercial radio broadcasting from the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, and then you have 15 minutes of commercials. I hope you and the Russian clan have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Mark, thank you, Mark. I hope you and yours uh, do the same. This comes from Ken, uh, one of our resident uh, academics in, uh, in Indiana. Dear Rebecca and Steve, I have not written for a long time, but I do so now for a few reasons. The first is to say that although I've been listening for a long time, longer, for example, than it has taken Steve to send swag to the 2019 NCAA Women's Bracket Challenge winner, oh, that hurts. That hurts because it's true. I am almost perpetually behind by a week or two. However, in listening to Pod 190 today, I'm happy to say I have achieved completionist status. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations, and thank you, Ken. The second reason was to talk about college admissions and financial information. As a parent of a current junior at Loyola Chicago, not Marquette, but at least it's Jesuit, I know the process is invasive and frustrating. Ken, let me tell you, uh, Loyola Chicago, our nephew. Our nephew goes there. As, uh, as a senior at Loyola Chicago. Yeah, crazy. Son of uh, our band leader. Yes, not Dick or Hari, but son of That's Tom. correct. I know the process is invasive, invasive and frustrating. I don't argue that and wouldn't want to. And no one should be asking what kind of car you drive. No, they shouldn't. And yet they have. And yet they have. You asked on the pod why schools don't have to sell themselves to you, since your daughter is the one making a choice of where to go. It may seem contradictory, but that is why they ask for financial information. When a college or university accepts someone, it will automatically generate a financial aid package for that student. Some federal aid is based primarily on income, like Pell Grants, and so the tax returns are the surest way to get accurate information about household income. Other aid, grants, scholarships, etc., may be based on need. Some may not. Every individual student has his or her own circumstances, but say that Restiva Siegel, I'm imagining DGS's next grandchild, <laughs> applies to a state school with low, intu- with low tuition but receives a minimal financial aid package. At the same time, Restiva also applies to a private school with much higher tuition but also much greater resources for scholarships and grants. It's easily possible that the private school could offer a financial aid package that makes actual tuition cost of the two schools about the same, or perhaps even less than the state school. Are you following this, Rebecca? I'm completely following it, yes. Does it, does it, does it... Uh, makes me no less angry, but a little bit more able to understand I mean, our, the our viewers uh, bring perspectives so that, we, that we, in our, in our ignorant, and I mean, uh, emotion-fueled rants... Uh, don't consider. And I'm sure this is something you would have looked up. However, it's not something I would have. Yeah, it, it definitely isn't something that you would have looked up. No, no, not something I would have. In other words, the financial aid package can become a part of the decision of where to go. Colleges and universities assume a student will be accepted at multiple schools and are hyper aware that you get to choose where to go. As such, the school wants to take federal aid, need-based aid from the university itself, grants, scholarships, and work-study options to put together and pitch to you the best possible financial aid package as soon as they can in the hopes that you will choose it. Lastly, I was at game three of the WNBA finals in Chicago, 
And though I did not get to say hello, it was fun to see you, Rebecca and Ryan, calling the game. With all good wishes for Thanksgiving and the coming season, Ken. Ken, thank you. Good wishes on your Thanksgiving, and thank you for the thoughtful, informative email. Yes, thank you. Rich writes, greetings, B and C. After Rebecca's excellent work last week, I was anxiously awaiting this week's podcast to see if Steve had been Wally Pipped as the resident viewer mail reader. Steve may have to explain the historical baseball reference to the younger audience. Wally Pipp, of course, was the New York Yankees first baseman who Lou Gehrig replaced and then never left that position for uh, a record-setting number of, of games, the exact number of which has just left my brain, Rebecca. Okay. And after having him read the exact same email for the second time in 18 months, his job may be on the line once again. At least we now know that the pod is deep at the reader position. Wishing you and yours happy holidays. Rich, Rich, thank you. Uh, I think I deserved to have been Wally Pipped. And uh, I might actually welcome it at this point, Rebecca, if you took over the no, I'm not your male uh, duties. Um, the honors, not the duties. Well, it's a duty and an honor. True. As, as, a, as one of the... Uh, my fellow baseball writers said when I was a baseball writer in the early 90s, when checking into a hotel in Cleveland at 3 o'clock in the morning and the desk person asked if he was there for a business or a pleasure, that writer who loved baseball and covering it, more so than most of the cynical, uh, ink-stained scribes, myself included, that writer said, business, but it's a pleasure. <laughs> I think you say that, don't you, when you check in the hotels? I don't think anyone asks anymore. They don't ask that anymore? Business or pleasure? No. Mm, it's too bad. Mm. Hi, Restiva writes Ralph in Maryland. This is our second missive from Maryland, Rebecca. Hello. Ed, our patent attorney, is in Maryland. Ed and Ralph. Yeah, when we send Ed our, our retainer for his services, we send it to Maryland. Hi, Restiva. I do not know what those who applied for financial aid had to send the college, but I do not think... Uh, it was quite as onerous as it is today. However, one's, one friend's family decided that by his senior year, it was not worth the effort to apply. What I remember about the trophy case at the field house was a deflated basketball that had the final score of a losing effort from 1925. Seemed out of the time and still does. From a losing effort? From a losing effort. A deflated basketball. Well, I mean, a deflated metaphorically and, and literally. Right, right. right. Yes. From 1925. Maybe they played with deflated balls in 1925, Rebecca. No. Oh. Deflated coals de sacks? <laughs> yes. My great uncle Ambler, writes Ralph, A-M-B-L-E-R, my great uncle Ambler was a big fan of potted meat and crackers as, a, as an economy meal during excursions to the country. Now, do you suppose Ralph really had a great uncle Ambler who was a fan of potted meat? Potted meat, Rebecca, not canned meat, I potted meat. I don't know what potted meat is. Well, it's the same as a potted plant, I assume. Uh, maybe. Uh, he remembers the depression. I guess that is cannery grade meat. It was not that bad, and it's still on a it's still on sale along with deviled ham, deviled ham, deviled ham, deviled eggs, corned beef. All all these verbs that I I, I wonder at the process of the the, the deviling of the, beef. the deviling process, the corning process, cannery grade meat. Now that is a great phrase that that Ralph has in his email. Cannery grade meat. Rebecca, we have we have viewers who write in to sh share their thoughts on cannery grade meat, and 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 potted potted protein. Yes. Alfred and Elizabeth co-author this email, Rebecca, and uh, it has several attachments. Hello, Rebecca and Steve. We are loving the podcast. Keep it up. 
In episode 190, Rebecca told the story of when she asked Steve's sister for a poison ivy opinion and forgot it was her birthday. That sparked an idea. Wouldn't it be cool to have ball and chain greeting cards? They could relate to funny anecdotes and issues from the show. Please find attached a draft mock-up PDF of a birthday card that is based on the poison ivy story. <laughs> That's what this attachment. It looks like one of those ads for toenail fungus, you know? Yeah. Because you cannot get uh, because you cannot post PDFs on Instagram, we are including a couple of photos of the card for that feed. Best regards, Alfred and Elizabeth. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> here is a birthday card that includes uh, uh, a graphic of of uh, a rash and uh, and a blue iPhone text box that says, "Does this look like poison ivy to you?" <laughs> now that would be a great. <laughs> that would be a great. We could send that. Uh, we'll print that out and send it to your sister. We, we should definitely send that. Uh, that what, a, what a great idea. Uh, thank you for that. That's that's fantastic. And then she's got a little back of the greeting card with the ball and chain logo and a copyright. This uh, I think this could put Hallmark out of business, Rebecca. That's fantastic. <laughs> In the inside, the, the text box says, by the way, BTW, happy birthday. Nice. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. But Rebecca, will you be able to post that on, on the ground? Yes, I Please? will. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, uh, Alfred and Elizabeth. That's fantastic. We, we've got to get that. That's Denny's next side hustle is our greeting card uh, business. Without question. Chip writes, um, Chip in Ohio writes, uh, Dear Steva, or is it Stebecca? Stebecca is more of a, of a lower Manhattan trendy neighborhood, right? Say that again. Stebecca is more of a trendy neighborhood in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Right? Greetings from a ball and chain completionist in suburban Toledo, Ohio. You know what I was just listening to the other day? What? Elvis Costello, uh, Elvis Costello's collaboration album with Burt Bacharach, which is great from about, I don't know, 20 years ago. And there's a song on it called Toledo. Did it, just curious, like, did it just come on the radio or did you? I, I saw Elvis Costello played at First Avenue in Minneapolis and I was reading a review of his show by John Bream, the Star Tribune music critic who has been the music critic there since when I was a kid in mm-hmm. the 70s and is still bringing it. And he was reviewing the show and, and it got me thinking of the Elvis Costello, Burt Bacharach album that I liked 20 years ago, CD. And there's a song on it called Toledo. And there's a line in that song that says, and do people living in Toledo dream of that Spanish citadel, Toledo in Spain, right? Mm-hmm. That makes me think, and I'm gonna get to, to Chip's email in a second. That makes me think that Rachel in Idaho, yes. well not Rachel in Idaho, Rachel from Idaho, she's not in Idaho because she tweeted at us today. Did you see this? I, I think I did. She has the, the ball and chain uh, coaster in I, what appears to be the duty-free shop in, in uh, Paris at Charles de Gaulle Airport uh, because she says... She's on her way to... Where's she on her way to? She said she's on her way to Cairo via Paris. And because this, this email comes from Toledo, where there's one in Spain and one in Ohio, I'm wondering if she is going to Cairo, Illinois, via Paris, Texas, or if she's going to Cairo, Egypt, via Paris, France. I think is it's the latter. Is that what you're wondering? I think it's the latter because she's in a duty-free shop. That, that, that looks like you wouldn't have in a... You just said, I think it's the latter. Our, I was in the not, car. Not L-A-D-D-E-R. Correct. I was in the car with our, our older two. And our uh, our fifteen year old was telling me something, and she said, "You know, is, well, is it the first or is it the second? And I said to her, "I said, you know, that another way to say that is it the former or is it the latter?" And her response was, "Yeah, I wouldn't say that." And I said, 
I said, well, you may when you're older. And just so you know, that's what it means. Yeah, I wouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, I think, I think she would apply that to just about everything that I say. Greetings from Ball and Chain Completionists in suburban Toledo, Ohio, uh, writes Chip. I could go on about Toledo forever. Jamie Farr, the Mud Hens, but let's let's get to this. Knowing Steve's attention to accuracy, I'm sure he's wondering which suburb. Well, uh, read my mind. Yeah. While we have lived in both Perrysburg and Sylvania, we now reside in the village of Holland. That's excellent because I, I always go back to the Andres Galarraga, Bill Murray announcing the Cubs game. This is Andres Galarraga from Caracas, Venezuela. He, he says he's from Caracas, but I bet it's a suburb. Yeah. While I have greatly enjoyed your podcast, I have not contributed any viewer mail since episode 37, which I'm sure you'll remember was entitled Jerky Tongs and Zipper Merges. Oh, I remember I remember Chip's email from that. Don't you, Rebecca? Sure. Jerky Tongs and Zipper Merges. I would love to be one of your residents, but I'm not sure what I have to offer. I spent 33 years as a newspaper editor, about half of that in sports departments. Since retiring, I help out at a funeral home, which means I went from one dying profession to another. That's That's making me laugh and cry at the same time, Chip. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you need a resident editor or a hearse driver, but I'm also a former student and sports information director at Ohio Wesleyan University, which I think would allow me to claim the title of resident battling bishop, assuming you don't already have one. Well, we do need a resident battling bishop. You've got the job. Also, do we have a resident former SID? I don't think so, Rebecca. I don't think so. What prompted me to write this week was the discussion of music that the amazing DGS could play while working. Among my first thoughts were Jackson Brown's Doctor My Eyes. Well, of course. I heard that yesterday, Rebecca. Yesterday. Would that be for DGS or would that be for... It could be for Dr. Siegel. It could be for it could be for George and Columbus. I think it might be more fitting for George and Columbus. Doctor My Eyes, certainly. Um, but the, but l- l- let him finish. The Bee Gees' Stayin' Alive or The First Cut is the Deepest, which has been performed by Rod Stewart and Sheryl Crow, among others. I think all of those would be great surgical theater uh, tunes. Amazing. Walk-up music for doctors is basically what we're talking about, right? Yes. Um, heart surgeons, start me up by the Rolling Stones, perhaps. Okay. Um, let's let's. That would also be a good one for DGS, though. Baby's born. Oh, start me up. Yeah. I mean, that's the start of that's of all starts. Absolutely. It's not a restart. It's start. I like baby that com- one. Baby come back by player if if if. if child's not quite ready to come out yeah. no <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to give this more thought uh next week we'll come back with a playlist but my suggestion is music from dr hook and the medicine show later known as just dr hook of course the group had albums called belly up and pleasure and pain which both seem appropriate for an OBGYN. if dgs ever delivered a baby named sylvia then he undoubtedly met sylvia's mother what a great song sylvia's mother that is great Pardon? That is great. And the operator said 40 cents more. Mm. Right? I will not try to wait another 153 episodes before writing again. Thanks for the entertaining podcast. Sincerely, Chip in Ohio. Chip in Holland, Ohio, let's be honest. Uh, P.S. If Steve ever gets around to mailing more swag, please put me on the list. Chip, you're on the list. I will. I, I mailed swag this week to somebody, and, and I will mail swag next week to you. Thank you, Chip. Got a couple more here, Rebecca. Uh, Andy in uh, Connecticut writes, Dear Rebecca, your discussion last week about speaking with energy brought up something I've always wondered about concerning courtside announcers. Given that play-by-play slash color commentators need energy when they talk, that must translate into some degree of louder volume. 
Some announcers, and I think Ryan Rucco is one, have a voice that is sharp or piercing. That is, their voice travels. And he can be heard quite clearly compared to someone with a softer tonal quality. What I want to know is, can players hear what announcers are saying and how do they react to what they hear? When you were playing, did you catch what announcers said about you or someone else? If so, what stands out? Thanks, Andy. He'll hang up and listen. Andy in Connecticut. Um, Rebecca, that's, that's a great question. You know, this was something that we were talking about more than ever a year ago, because when I was a player, I never, ever heard what the announcers were saying, because it's even though they're courtside, you don't hear anything courtside. You Including know? your coaches. <laughs> you do hear them. But, you know, there's just the din and the crowd noise and, and that. And usually at the quiet points of a game, a free throw or whatever, the announcers are also quiet, too. So last year, Ryan and I were actually talking about this when we first got to New Orleans. I'm not sorry, not New Orleans, San Antonio for the, I don't know what we were there for first, the Sweet 16, because there was a very limited capacity of fans in the arena. And so we were saying, like, I wonder if the players will be able to hear us. But none of them ever looked over at us or it it never felt like they heard us. Um, So, no, I don't remember ever hearing an announcer speak while I was playing and I've never had a player react um, as if they've just heard something that we have said. Maybe you need to speak a little louder. <laughs> Maybe. Great questions. Uh, uh, this comes from our, our resident librarian, Myra. Myra writes, hello, Rebecca and Steve. As a native Duluthian, I appreciated Northern suburban correspondent Steve's, formerly known as Stephen, sharing fond memories of Duluth, Lake Superior, in the aerial lift bridge, it has motivated me to break my correspondence procrastination and share a few examples of how ingrained Lake Superior is in our life. These are the first few things that come to mind. One, no matter how warm the weather, I automatically grab an extra layer on my way out the door. Living where you never know when the wind might shift off the lake and cause a sudden 20 plus degree drop has created an unbreakable behavioral pattern. Even when I'm spending time in warm climates nowhere near Lake Superior, I carry a sweater or jacket. When I'm questioned about it, I just say it it's what Duluthians do. An unbreakable habit with a windbreaker, Rebecca. It's it's just smart. What's the downside? You wrap it around your waist because you don't need it? You go as an 80s movie villain and, and tie it around your neck Could. like a sweater? It's like when our kids are going to an outdoor event, you know, in the fall. I'll say, you know, bring a coat with you. Yeah, but it's not cold right now. What is the downside? The downside is you have a coat if it gets cold. And if, There's and, none. And, and you put that coat on. On the downside. There you go. Because it's, it's filled with down. And I get it. And then you put that so side. So does everyone else Close listening. to your skin. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, two, putts break toward the lake. It's how new golfers in Duluth are taught to read greens. When I've been in other cities playing with family members, we always have a good laugh trying to figure out where we are in relation to Lake Superior. So true. Why would the break putts break to the, the lake? They always break to the water. If you're play, playing in Hawaii on the water, putts break toward the ocean. I don't do? know the physics of it. I'm not. I'm not a scientist. And I'm not a golfer, right. so I've never heard that. Is that that's a yes. common? Yes. Except in Australia, where they break the opposite way. I'm so just if about if that. you're if you're say you're on a green yes. that's next to a um, water hazard, is that what they're called? Right. No, no it has to be but a it, natural natural okay. water, like a body of water. So, but on the other side, if is they the put body it, if of they water. put the 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 uh, the uh, the barbicide blue water at a mini golf course doesn't count. It has to be an actual large body does this, of water. Does this rule count for golf, uh, mini golf too? 
That's why I just said it doesn't. No, no, I'm saying where, where you have no, a no, no. bubble gum or a pink fountain. I get that it, part. I'm saying if you're playing mini golf, is it also breaking towards whatever the natural body of what? Like if she is playing mini golf. Well, I mean, presumably she's putting on a, on a concrete bed with a, a thin overlay so it of only, astroturf. It, it's only true for actual well, golf courses. And, and even then, it's only true. It depends on the putt. Obviously, if if the hole that the pin is set in a in a you know on, a, on like a, a banked on a slope, mm-hmm. you're gonna be able to t- you're gonna see that it's gonna be breaking away from the hole, regardless of where the body of water. So is. this is only if it's like a f- flat-ish putt. Don't get exasperated I'm with me. I'm not, you are. Yes, You're absolutely. getting this look on your face. I'm, I'm asking legit I'm questions. It's, it's, uh, or is this one of those times where you're pretending to be an expert and you don't really I'm know? One of those so times. You don't that's, like, that's so you don't like me, you don't like me asking the question no, no, no. because I'm exposed. What, what I'm saying is, is it, is it, uh, is it can't, it, it, I can't read your hypothetical pot. Okay. okay. You know what phrase you cannot stand? I don't know. Like, it's okay. It's, it's empowering. <laughs> Just say it sometimes. I don't know. Not only do I not know, I can't possibly know. Nobody could possibly know and which this is way. How you, which and this way is how you handle it. <laughs> nobody could possibly know nobody, the answer to this nobody question. Nobody could possibly know which way your imaginary putt is going to break. Okay, imagine so, there's, there's sorry, an imaginary this, putt. Right, let me rephrase on, my question. On a non-existent clearly, golf hole, no, tell me which way it's going to break. No. I can't do that, Rebecca. So, okay. I can't read a putt okay. on a real golf course. So but it, it, but if, I do know that if the Pacific Ocean is on my right, uh, the putt is likely to break to the right as long as the, the, the green isn't sloping away to the left severely, okay? Okay. But since I, I wasn't initially eliciting the response, yes. then it clearly was my question that was at fault. So let me rephrase no, 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 this. No, no, Please, like, please. What yeah, is, it's my fault. What is the, like, how close does the golf course have to be to the water for this to count? Like, if you're miles away, is yes. this, it is. Absolutely. You just, and you know that there's a large body of water. I assume it has to do with the moon, the tides, and, and, uh, I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I just so, know that it's it's fact. This, this is so. So if I'm on a golf course a few miles from a lake or the ocean, I need to know where that body of water is because if there it looks like if there's a like a generally like flat yes, green, absolutely, it will break towards that body of absolutely. water. Absolutely. Okay, that's that's. I had never heard that. Now I know. Can, may, For may when my, I don't play golf, may my refinish. <laughs> yes. Three. Bridge has a specific meaning when used as a verb. If you need to be somewhere, have to cross the lift bridge, don't allow extra time, and are on the wrong side of the bridge when it goes up to let a boat through. When you eventually arrive at your destination, you say, sorry, I'm late. I was bridged. Everybody understands, but uh, but that doesn't mean it's an acceptable excuse. Duluthians should know to factor in bridging time. You only need that in Connecticut if you're in Mystic. That's true. Do we have any other drawbridges in the uh, state? Perhaps, but that's the only one I've been on. That's the only one I've ever been on as well. An early April BNC gathering in Minneapolis seems like a good idea in order to coincide with the Final Four. However, the weather in Minnesota at that time of year can range from 60 degrees and sunny to a Gales of November-style blizzard. Just something to keep in mind. Well, we know Myra would be prepared. Okay, so here's my question. Because she has a, the S- jacket. Say say we're in Minnesota for the Final Four. Yeah. We have a gathering, and we, make a, we have a, a golf outing as part of this. There's lakes everywhere. How do I know where, where, which way the green's going to break? Okay. Say you're, say you're in Minneapolis the first week of April and you have a golf outing. Yes. You will be the only one there. <laughs> okay. So you can I'm read it whatever, saying, whichever way you play. Like if you're in Minnesota, you got lakes everywhere. You, you'll, you'll, you'll tee How off. How do you know? Your white ball <laughs> will descend into white snow and, and your round will be over. And I'll have a sagging Coles to sack. Yes, you will. Uh, but honestly, 
And you, if you're golfing in Minnesota. Yes. There's lakes everywhere. Big ones. They don't have the gravitational pull of, of Lake Superior, whose very name suggests that it is bigger than all of the other so lakes. So which, which lake are you, are, which body of water, if you're in, let's use Minneapolis. If you're in Minneapolis, which body of water are you using for your, if, if your, br- your, your it, break strategy? It doesn't apply in, uh, in uh, landlocked places. For instance, if I'm putting and, and somebody else on the green is, is sipping a cup of coffee, the ball will break toward that cup of coffee. It's a legit question. <laughs> okay. Well, Just say I, I can tell you. I can tell you that golfers and meteorologists, uh, as well as people who study lakes—I don't know what they're called—geologists, perhaps, golfers. are composing emails right now for let next week's me, just, email. If you would please let me know yep. how close you have to be to this major body of water for this rule to apply, okay. I would appreciate it. Okay. Well. Um, uh, our penultimate email comes from Steve, who writes, Greetings once again from the Twin Cities, where this week we are basking in the afterglow of the Vikings having bested the Packers, which, as Steve well knows, is pretty much the closest we usually get to a Super Bowl victory. Rebecca, the Vikings are never on the Sunday afternoon Fox game here, where we always get the Giants, Jets, and Patriots, uh, despite the there being no need to televise the Giants and the Jets the last five years. But we did get the Vikings-Packers on Sunday, and miraculously... I was home to see it, and the Vikings won on a last-second field goal as time expired. Which means you were not watching the Texas-Tennessee game that I was doing halftime for. You were watching the Packers. I, I, was, I was recording instead. your game, okay, and I, and I plan to watch it soon. Okay, I, want, I, I need I need silence and and uh, full concentration. Full concentration. Not much to report other than to quickly comment on Rebecca's understandable consternation last week with the college application and financial aid process. Having now sent three daughters through college and having just made my last semester of tuition payments, the best advice I can give is to remember that it is a marathon and you will be revisiting these issues regularly over the coming years. To that end, make absolutely sure that you save your usernames and passwords for all of the sites you complete as it will greatly decrease the level of frustration the next time you log in. In the end, though, the college years are really a treat, and I wish your daughter all the best in her search. Other than that, here's wishing the entire Russian Lobo family a very happy Thanksgiving, and thanks to the two of you for an hour or so each week of interesting stories and observations. Until next time, I remain on the job as your intrepid correspondent from the northern suburbs, Steve. Steve, thank you, and uh, same to you, right back at you on the um, happy Thanksgiving uh, sentiments. Did Dr. Siegel take... Thanksgiving week. No, off? I'm saving. This is now we get to Dr. Siegel. Oh, okay. Well, you said penultimate. Penultimate, meaning second to last. Okay. Me, people could have just seen your face when you said second oh, to I last. Oh, I was so thrilled when I heard You're you so say smug and. I said penultimate. Just read it. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Dr. Gary Siegel writes. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Russian, I love the formality of that. Yes. I thought that a more formal greeting might be appropriate for the holiday season and also demonstrate to Julianne that all of the people involved with the Ball and Chain podcast are exceedingly polite. There's so much to say since the last podcast best enumerated in a list format. To wit, colon. By the way, we have to get Julianne an assignment, Rebecca. We do. What should it be? I don't know, but let's put some good thought into it. She deserves that. She deserves that. She, she could record a voice memo on a phone. Email it to us at ballandshadepod at gmail.com. But we have to give her some sort of uh, we do. assignment. And we will. 
One, writes Dr. Siegel, from all of the grateful viewers, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and wonderful holiday season. I've got an assignment. Well, well thank you, Dr. Siegel. Oh, thank you, Dr. Siegel. I'm sorry. You're going to have to reread that because my my mind was elsewhere. uh, We have to uh, exhibit appropriate manners for Julianne, the impressionable Julianne. You're right. Julianne, this is your assignment. I'm assuming you're getting together with some family over Thanksgiving. That may be a false assumption, but if you are, use the memo folder, voice record, whatever, of, of one of the adults, unless you have one yourself, and ask the different adults around the Thanksgiving table I think this is intruding on, on, a, on a sacred holiday, but go on. I don't think so. It could be, it'll be quick. Um, just ask them their philosophy of crust cutting on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Do they cut the bread before they make the sandwiches? Do they cut the, the crust off after they make the sandwiches? And if they've never heard of cutting the crust off first, do they think it's the way to go? How about that being her first assignment? Are, are, you, are you trying to get Julianne to become a partisan? No. On your side of cross-cutting? No, did you read her last email? She's very capable of coming up with a question that is not leading, that is just factual, and she can get her family's input on this very important debate. I would, I would just say, speaking of, of cutting cross, a slice, a slice of life in the... Uh, that could be the title of her segment, A Slice of Life. I think she, she's, she's entitled to entitle... Her own segments, but it could be. It could be. All right. I'm well, sorry. Well, well, Dr. We'll Siegel. Get, well, Dr. Siegel writes. Uh, two, Steve's changing of the irreplaceables was a magnanimous feat which absolves him of any perceived lack of action regarding things, including but not limited to car maintenance, household maintenance, <laughs> kitchen cabinet doors, and HVAC filters come to mind, and scooping up dog poop. You're laughing, Rebecca. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, what? Well, he, I mean, it's, he's, I didn't he's have only listed some of the things. But they're good things. The length of said absolution should be long, but ultimately decided by Rebecca. Trust me that in our former house with a basement and two other heated floors, I once placed a 32-foot extension ladder on the ground level, scaled it as high as I could, and Mrs. DGS studied me through a kitchen window while I used a telescoping light bulb changer to change a floodlight. I'll not be doing that again anytime soon. 32-foot extension ladder. ladder. 32-foot extension ladder. I mean, that puts your 12-footer to shame. Well, I imagine it's 16 feet that extends to 32. It's impressive. But he didn't go. He didn't go anywhere near the full thirty-two feet. How do you know? Because he had a light bulb changing, ex- uh, telescopic light bulb changer. Unless his floodlight was was on the ninth floor of a of an apartment building, and Maybe he was, it was scaling it. Maybe it was. But that's impressive. Either way, Doctor Siegel. Two. This is the second two. Perfect. He's enumerated his his one, two, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. I don't think he's done that before. He's just trying to mix it up a little bit. The second two. The podcast featured a smorgasbord of songs and artists. Canned Heat, Going Up the Country, The Beatles, Eleanor Rigby, Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and perhaps known to viewers Ed and Rebecca, Rebecca signed off wishing for a bright, sunshiny day, i.e. Jimmy Cliff, I can see clearly now. I doubt that other podcasts can match this feat. I agree. I doubt they can also. Three, and now we're getting to the the meat of the, the matter here, Rebecca. Okay. The Formula One World Championship is closer than ever. Red Bull, Arch, Red Bull R, ex, uh, asterisk, I have used the plural verb R as opposed to is, much like Steve alluded to Arsenal R in last week's podcast. That is, that is why, is that is what the Sky Sports commentators from the United Kingdom say. Kudos, by the way, Rebecca, to ESPN for covering Formula One with its home country's broadcast. 
Uh, I agree with that. I, I like the, the fact that they use the uh, Sky broadcast. The Formula One World Championship is closer championship is closer than ever. Red Bull are trailing Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship by just a few points, and the Constructors' finishing order determines prize money at season's end. The Constructors, Rebecca, being the uh, the the, uh, the guys who build the car, the mm-hmm. car championship versus the uh, the team championship versus the uh, individual drivers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Young Max Verstappen of Red Bull Honda leads seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes by a few points with Lewis on a winning streak and two races to go. Most remarkable at this weekend's inaugural Qatar Grand Prix, Gutter, Qatar, how are we pronouncing that, Rebecca? Qatar was the podium finished by 40-year-old double world champion Fernando Alonso. He seeks a third title with the same skill and passion that, has had, that he has had since he arrived in the series in 2001. He drives for Alpine. Alpine. Dr. Siegel helpfully uh, encloses a pronunciation key, formerly called Renault, for whom he won his two championships in 2005 and 2006. So uh, Dr. Siegel will, will uh, correct me and fill in my... Uh, my uh, bare knowledge of the Constructors' Championship. Um, but to podium, Rebecca, you finish in the top three, as you do with the Olympics. You podiumed at the Olympics, but there wasn't an actual podium when you did because there's too many people to put on a podium. Am I right? No, there's a podium. It's just really long. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And was it just slightly higher than the silver medalists? Yeah. And the great Jerry Seinfeld joke about uh, you finished one-tenth, one-one-hundredth of a second uh, it's not enough that you just lost by one one hundredth of a second in track and field. You also have to feel like you're one inch shorter than the other guy. <laughs> right. Four doctors don't much, don't munch on food very often. In my experience, during patient care, our offices have break rooms and hospitals have cafeterias, and some have private doctors' lounges with various accoutrements where doctors gather to eat privately. He is bold faced accoutrements so that I could pronounce it absurdly. Of course, he did. Five, having not been aware of the Raiders-Oilers game in 1972 that caught a non-family-friendly gesture on live TV, I enjoyed the video, as well as hearing once again those great voices of Dandy Don Meredith, Frank Gifford, and, of course, Howard Cosell. Six, I filled out college financial forms for two children who both thankfully graduated in four years, the last in 2009. The short-term pain, Mrs. Russian, will lead to long-term gain, as you, as you wisely already know. Seven, lastly, did you know that women in neighborhoods both have cul-de-sacs? The Pouch of Douglas, capital D. The Pouch of Douglas, also known as the cul-de-sac or posterior cul-de-sac, is the lowest point of a woman's abdomen and a structure well-known to gynecologic surgeons. Yikes. I've attached a medical illustration for for your edification. Rebecca, I repeat, the Pouch of Douglas. A woman has a cul-de-sac. Also called the Pouch of Douglas. The Pouch of Douglas. All right, who was Douglas? I don't know. You're asking me? <laughs> I'm asking Dr. Is it, did he write who Douglas was? He doesn't mention who Douglas was, nor what was in his pouch. But he encloses a a, 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 a kind of anatomy class model of, of where the pouch of Douglas slash cul-de-sac resides. I mean, of course it's named, I'm guessing Douglas is a man. Maybe it's a female. Maybe it was a female doctor slash scientist. Douglas was her last name, and so she was given a pouch. Possibly instead, instead all these all all these women have a pouch inside that's named after a man. Probably it's just you know just like <laughs> when explorers named the river after themselves or something. Right. The guy I'm who discovered the every, pouch of Douglas. Every woman's cul-de-sac. I'm gonna name the pouch of the Douglas. The pouch of Douglas. 
I mean, is this for real? It's uh, send me this picture later. I, I need I need to know more. Well, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The pouch of Douglas. We've had some incredible phrases in this week's podcast. We Rebecca. truly have. I don't even remember them now. But the pouch of Douglas and 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 uh, the calls de sacs are, are two that come to mind. Anyway, Doctor Siegel, as always, amazing uh, information on Formula One and and the pouch of Douglas. A very marsupial phrase for for a human being, but. But anyway, we'll we'll learn more, I'm sure, in weeks to come. I, I just so wish that Katie Douglas, who was my former teammate with the Connecticut Sun, had a great career in the WNBA. I wish she was still playing. So, like, if somebody threw her a great pass, you're like, oh, she caught that right in the pouch of Douglas. <laughs> or, or, or just if she were wearing a fanny pack. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to see this picture because if, if, like, someone has a really, in women's basketball, has a really bad pass thrown to them or maybe they get elbowed in a certain area or needed in a certain area taking a charge, I can say, oh, that had to hurt. She took that right in, in the, the pouch, pouch of, of Douglas. Douglas. <laughs> well, the, the graphic is headlined. It, the graphic is square. It looks like a, an album cover. And, and the header is Pelvic Spaces, which could be either a band or an album name. Right. Um, that would be great because sometimes women get hurt when they're taking charges in a, in a game or get need. I'm going to have to remember the pouch of Douglas. In 1983, I, I bought uh, the album uh, Pelvic Spaces album, album Pouch of Douglas. <laughs> In what year? 1983. Okay. Pelvic Spaces came out with Pouch of Douglas. It was their follow-up to Calls the Sax, and, and I think most critics agree it was their best. Well, on these notes, Rebecca, Yeah. we have to close the Pouch of Douglas and sign off uh, for producer Denny Gallagher, for Rebecca Lobo. For Tom, Dick, and Ari. Play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pad Live in this cuckoo nest Daily grind puts your sanity To a daily test Androgynous and vigorous Well we give for a little rest It's day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.